and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Sarah Hoffman, Vice President of AI and Machine Learning Research, joins host Pamela Ritchie today for a look at how artificial intelligence and machine learning is affecting investing today. Artificial intelligence is a branch of computer science involved with the design of computers or other program mechanical devices, having the capacity to imitate human intelligence and thought. Sarah unpacks the latest trends, concerns, and issues surrounding AI and the effects it has on companies, people, and the overall economy. She notes that OpenAI recently released an enterprise-friendly version, allowing companies to use the technology more seriously. So how does this relate to security concerns? Sarah points out that generative AI can alleviate data security concerns for companies, but despite improved security, challenges like fabrications, legal issues, and data ownership require attention before adoption. Sarah also touches upon emerging digital financial technologies and how it could change the way we invest and think about money. She also addresses AI in the workplace and how it could affect training and employees. This podcast was recorded on August 30th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. That enterprise piece of the overall story is, is sort of the headline. So we'll dig into that and then and then kind of go through the rest of the AI thing. But recent, take us through sort of the news this week, what it means for the business approach to AI. Yeah, so um, I guess since some chat GPT came out in November, and for some of us even before then, there was this big push to try to use generative AI wherever we could. Um, but really for enterprises, it, once people started looking into it, they realized that um, many of these tools weren't really enterprise ready. Um, this week, OpenAI actually just released um, an enterprise friendly version of this technology. So now, um, companies can start thinking about it a lot more seriously. So for that, they need enough on the hardware side, which we understand there's a sort of a, uh, a demand issue there. So we'll get into that. So the hardware piece of it on the security, so let's say you have the hardware on the security side of things for a company that would like to deploy this within there. What, what has this solved this new piece of the story? Yeah, and so I should first add that definitely every company should look into <laughs> look into it in detail and make sure they're comfortable with how things are done. But um, it should uh, fix many of the security issues that exist previously. You know, many companies didn't feel comfortable just sharing their data with another company and knowing that that data might be used to retrain models and then other people could benefit from that data. And also not knowing really, is their data protected? Is it secure? Um, so a lot of those questions go away with generative AI. There's still, you know, plenty of other um, issues to work through, like the fact that um, 
you know, what you might have heard is hallucinations. This uh, makes this technology could make things up. Um, there are still plenty of legal issues to work through. Um, where you know what happens with all the training data that went into this was um, is it allowed to even use this type of um, AI um, when the training data might not be okay to use? And what about the output? Do we own the output? So there's still plenty of other questions, but a lot of that security side really does um, go away, although every company really should look into it and make sure they're comfortable with it. Does the data that companies have been collecting for as long as we have been doing anything in the last, I don't know, decade or so, we're handing out our data to, for companies to use in, in all kinds of different ways, and they've been squirreling it away and using it in the way that they're using it. Do they have to collect it, uh, protect it? Do, does it change the way companies are collecting data in any particular way? And not really. I would say the main change here is the fact that we're going to be using AI in many, many more places than we were before. So data becomes even more critical um, and making sure you have that data that's easily accessible, making sure the data is clean and easy to use and work with. Those challenges were all here before, but they become even more important now. And just to quickly take us through sort of, I, I know the hardware side of things is not your specialty, but but there is sort of we know the demand for chips. I mean, it's, it's become national policy uh, for various countries around the world. It's, it's clear, it's there, it's a concern. Bring us up to date in sort of the timeline of, of, of where we are. How scarce is it right now versus, I don't know, nine months ago? Yeah, so definitely um, now there are a lot of people worried that they're you know, everybody wants to use AI and generative AI, but they're is there really enough hardware for all the uses that we all have? And so there is this, you know, fear and also people, some, there is a shortage and people are trying to get access to the AI chips and having trouble um, getting enough. Um, what's interesting is previously we, we all in the AI world heard, you know, data compared with oil. And now there's this, you know, semiconductors or chips as the new oil. It's, um, there's also a lot of the um, geopolitical issues related to, you know, the countries that are involved in um, producing um, these chips. But and really, I think long term, um, it's supply and demand. We're going to have more and more chips created, but that could take a while. And so short term, I do expect to see um, prioritizations of AI projects. You know, maybe companies can't use or you know, some companies might be fine getting all their their hardware for AI. Some companies might need to prioritize projects. Some companies might need to use older hardware and not necessarily the best. Um, but also long term, I wonder if this will mean we'll start seeing more innovation in this space because, um, you know, there is this big market here. Okay, so take us into sort of the debate between building building their own enterprise, essentially, uh, version of it versus now this option to, to buy that, that exists now. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, this is, I, I guess this is a debate with really every software, like there's always a build versus buy versus partner um, question that comes up with companies. But now because um, this language model generative AI technology is so new, companies aren't sure what to do. There's a, a lot of benefits. I mean, we see with um, just the cloud itself and not building all that infrastructure. But will language model technology be the same where maybe we don't want to turn to an open source technology and have to do all this work and then own all that work? Um, but on the other hand, it means keeping your data private, which is really, really important for companies. Um, 
And the other question is, will open source technology really get good enough and be as good as um, what, what's out there through other companies? Um, so it's still like, I guess, to be determined what companies will do when it comes to this build versus buy decision with this language model technology. It's it's interesting. I I, I go to the Canadian banks, for instance, because they've sort of uh, avoided the the open uh, source way of of doing things. And I, it, it sounds like banks and lots of other regulated industries know it's coming and they're sort of trying to push it off just to sort of remind us some of the difficulties for companies again on the security side of what an open source platform means so if you are using open source it means you could keep everything in your company you don't need to send your data to somebody else so that is a really big advantage for many companies knowing that they're no they don't have to trust somebody with their data obviously the data is like one of the most important things companies have um and they want to make sure it's protected um, but, you know, there is, you know, the other side as well of, you know, the, the complications of having to own everything is sometimes it's nice to, you know, out, to like not have to deal with some piece of a technology that's not your primary business, but really it's about, um, it's, and then I guess there's, you know, the, the primary thing is about security, about owner, data ownership, but there's also the cost aspect as well. Um, which one will end up being cheaper or more costly and how does that factor in is also going to be something that companies will need to look at. Do you think on the training side of things, there's, there'll be sort of um, some internal doing that because it's, it is hard to hire people perhaps, or is it hard to hire people? I'll ask you that. To actually, um, to, for, for the, um, for either side of things, it's definitely easier to hire people if you're just using some other technology and you don't need to have you know as good data scientists. But I wouldn't say it's hard to find people who could who could do this. Um, it's, it is expensive. It's um, you need to find them. But I, I wouldn't say it's very difficult. There's a lot of people trained in this, um, but um, it definitely is you know still another project to deal with. I want to jump in in a second to sort of how financial advisors can can use this, can can be speaking to their clients about it a little bit. But I, I just want to ask you for, we haven't caught up with you in a few months now, and just some more recent examples, for instance, of the way that you are seeing people use um, this type of technology, what they're using it for, how it's been helpful. Um, I think a lot of people have been messing around with it. I messed around it looking, trying to write an essay at one point, and boy, it was extremely helpful. You can see how dangerous it is to education. Um, I, I sort of saw the alarm bells that must be ringing there. What, what have you been using it for or, or had friends and people in your um, circle using it for? Sure. You know, I've actually used it. I use it for, I would say, education all the time where I'm trying to learn something new. If I'm in a meeting and something comes up that I'm not familiar with, um, I find it much easier to go to a technology and ask a question five, six, seven times until I really understand the answer than asking a coworker. I could probably ask a coworker once or twice and after that I won't. So what I love about using AI for learning is that there's no judgment at all. Um, I can, you can really get an answer and you can keep asking in different ways. If you're still unsure, you can say, please explain that to me as though I'm a fourth grader now, please use a metaphor. Um, you can just try to keep getting it um, until you understand it. So I actually love it for learning new things. I've used it. My mother had an MRI recently um, and I, you know, I could have gone to Google, which I would have done in the past and tried to understand each phrase. I would, you know, what might've taken me an hour. Now I got answers in a few minutes, but what was even less than a few minutes, but what was even better 
is that I was able to ask follow-up questions. Is this common for someone in this age range? Is this common for somebody with this health issue? I, I can't do that with Google today. Um, although I, I should add, before they added their um, BARD um, language model technology incorporated into it. Um, and so there is something I think really powerful about education. I've also used it personally for even simpler things. Like I had a um, friend coming over who was allergic to mayonnaise or to soy. And I looked at it and I had a recipe that had mayonnaise and I saw, oh, mayonnaise has soy in it. And so I gave the recipe to ChatGPT and it told me what I could replace with. And it actually came out really good. I would never have known how to do that on my own. And it's hard to um, get that information just from like, Search, you'd have to go through many, many recipes until you found something. Can um, you tell me like, how to do a three-week um, dinner plan? <laughs> yes, we can plan long, um, definitely multi-course meals. They could plan vacations. I have friends that used it for itineraries, for vacations. Um, and the, one of the reasons I tell people when they say, oh, is this all hype? I know it's not all hype because I'm already finding it very useful for personal reasons. And if you can find something useful for your own personal use, then there's probably plenty of business opportunities there. To the, the discussion around accuracy. Um, so this question, expanding on um, your comment, Sarah, about training, how much concern is there about errors generated by AI based on bad inputs or training? The whole accuracy discussion. Yeah, so I mean, it's a big um, issue. Each version, you know, presumably and hopefully will get better and better. But with AI, you need to remember it's never ever going to be 100% accurate. So even if your data is perfect, which it definitely probably never will be, um, I guess there's a few issues. There's the issues with imperfect data, data that has mistakes. There's the issue with data that has bias. Um, and then there's the issue with the fact that the technology just completely makes things up, even if it had perfect data. So we do have to figure out, you know, how do you use a technology that is not perfect and will never be completely perfect? Um, and there are ways you could think about using it, like even just thinking to, to like, you go to Amazon and you get recommendations. They're not right now <laughs> mailing all that stuff to my door and I'm happy that they don't do that because most of the recommendations I don't want. Um, but if there is one or two that I like, I could accept it. Um, and, you know, another an example with generative AI is when I did, you know, use it for M the MRI understanding, I um, went, to, it just made me more informed when I had a discussion with the doctor. And I felt like I could ask better questions, have a better conversation than if I didn't know anything before. But I didn't assume I have 100% knowledge on this. Um, I still had that conversation with the doctor. And that's really where I see it being helpful. I use this also to try to understand blockchain technology better. But then I went to somebody at Fidelity who's an expert and said, do I have a good understanding now? Is there anything I'm missing? Um, and she said, you probably have about 90 to 95% correct. You 5% completely incorrect, at which I got from this technology. But that was fine for me. And then she could correct that 5%. And I still was able to have like a much better conversation, a much deeper understanding. Um, so to me, that it's still a win. But if we wanted to use it for something like, let's just decide my entire portfolio with nothing else, um, just tell me, just do any investments you want for me, that I would be very scared to do because, I, you know, I, just like I wouldn't want all the Amazon recommendations to show up at my door, you know, there's going to be mistakes and things that, that it's not aware of um, and didn't take into account. And so you do need to figure out exactly where that human in the loop needs to step in when it comes to AI. Um, you mentioned, for instance, 
blockchain. Um, there, there are a lot of emerging digital financial either technologies, uh, digital asset space. Talk a little bit about the conversions of what ultimate, how these will be used together. So you've got the ledger, you've got, for instance, crypto that's built on top of it. You've got other emerging technologies. Where does AI fit into this overall story? So I would say even more generally, what I see with a, the next step of generative AI, people always ask me, so is that next version going to be this breakthrough that really transforms the world? And I really don't think um, the next version is going to be the breakthrough. Like, I think every version will get better. Hopefully each version, maybe you'll have fewer of these hallucinations where it's like making things up. Um, but I do think it's going to be when we figure out how do we take AI and combine it with another technology that will really see the power. And just to give a very simple example, when um, you know, both you know Microsoft incorporated um, generative AI into Bing and Google incorporated it into their search engine, so this they're taking search engine technology and generative AI technology. They're combining the two. And now, I mean, one issue with language model technology is it's really expensive to train a model. So they actually never updated. OpenAI hasn't updated their model since September 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously, I mean, it's missing two years of information. This is especially in the financial world. That's huge. How much has happened in two years? But if you combine it with search engine technology, then it does know the latest and what happened. You also could get back sources now. So even if it makes a mistake, you could go back to the articles and see, is this actually accurate? And that's where I see the power, whether it's going to be blockchain technology, quantum search engine technology, or really thinking about how do we take generative AI and combine it with every technology and what potential problems could that fix? Right. Fascinating how, how this will all work. You, you, I imagine that you know about various legal areas that that are on this they must be because it will change will it change contracts i mean it'll change lots of things so give us a sense of are people cracking on with this in legal fields yeah so i actually saw there are some law schools now that are offering courses and things like the one one class i saw ip and human creativity in the ai age like trying to think through you know many of these challenges of that really nobody thought about before um you know what happens with you know, the copyright concerns of all the data that goes into these models, for example. And so I do think there's going to be this new like legal field and, and regulations that will need to think through a lot of these challenges that just right now, I mean, I guess ChatGPT was released in November and that really put it on the map, generative AI in the map, even though it was around before. And now, so it's still pretty new. We're in the first year of, the, of this and we need to figure out, you know, how, how does this work legally? And that's still to be determined. Um, the United States, for instance, uh, is, is taking the lead as it often does in innovation um, around the world. We've asked some people in Canada over the course of, you know, how, how do you see policy getting formed and how regulations work and so on. You just kind of wonder where it comes from. Like in Canada, we'll say that often the Bank of Canada it doesn't always follow the Fed because it doesn't, but but there's sort of that, let's see what happens in terms of regulation, structure, policy in the U.S. Do you anticipate that being the way this goes for, for this? We start to see things and then, you know, there's a, a bit of a butterfly effect on, on policy and regulations. So right now, the government is in the U.S. is really just trying to understand how this works. They're meeting with plenty of people in the AI um, space and plenty of AI leaders 
really firstly see, you know, what are the right rec uh, regulations to have? You know, you don't want to stifle innovation, but we definitely need to regulate this. Um, and they're you know, and and they're trying to see work with big tech companies as well to see what can they do to make sure even with if you know how do we know what's true and what's not is a huge issue now. Um, and so I think right now we're really in the they're trying to get knowledge they're trying to get suggestions on what would be regulations that make sense. Um, it's I guess to be determined on when those regulations come, although they presumably they will come. And so. To an extent, let, let's get into just talking about how this shifts the workplace. I mean, most jobs will at some point, and this may not be tomorrow or next year, but will incorporate presumably AI. Is that, is that how you see that unfolding? Um, definitely. I'm, I, I would say most like knowledge worker jobs will incorporate AI. You know, I think about it in my own role researching AI, and I do find it helpful. I'll send an outline of a report to this technology and say, is this a good outline? Is there something I'm missing here? I wrote a report on how healthcare was being transformed with generative AI and I gave it my outline. And it suggested I also focus on how people are using it for mental health. And um, I thought that was a good suggestion and I added it in. Um, and so I do think you could do your jobs without it, but why should you? If there's somebody who's always there 24 seven giving you suggestions, you could ignore those suggestions, but take advantage and, and have those suggestions. And the nice thing about using it as a brainstorming tool is if it does make something up, if it hallucinates, you could ignore it. And also sometimes even those made up things could inspire you to actually think about something that maybe you didn't think about before. So I tell people in the area of brainstorming, um, hallucinations is not a bug, but a feature. <laughs> it could sometimes even be useful. That's, wait, go through that again. How, how if it got something wrong, that could be... So, uh, kind of future and advantage uh, opportunity, I guess. Yeah. So let's say, for example, it told me, "Hey, people are also using um, this in the mental health space and um, using it as a support to chat." But and what if it wasn't? It turns out it is true. People are using it that way. But what if they weren't? What if they had made that up? That could tell me, "Hey, maybe this doesn't have isn't happening now, but maybe six months from now it will come." <laughs> and maybe that's an area I should be thinking about. I could be ahead of the curve, you know, thinking about it. Or maybe it's a really terrible idea. But either way, like. If it is making something up when I'm just trying to think about a topic, sometimes that actually could inspire some new idea that maybe I didn't think about before. The term beta in finance means, means something a bit different, but in terms of the development of technology, are, is AI still in beta version? What's interesting is when um, ChatGPT was released, they actually didn't even call it beta. It was research. It was before beta. At this point, I would say maybe we're in beta. Um, I don't know. I don't remember exactly with this technology, what um, OpenAI is calling it, but um, people didn't realize when it was even pre-beta when it was released. Where, But I think finally, given that we do have something that's enterprise ready, we could probably say um, we're at least in beta now. Right. Okay. We're, we're kind of there. Um, in terms of... Uh, sort of this exponential idea of, of demand. It, it's part of the way that we began the conversation is sort of the demand, what's available now, is it a new tipping point? Just kind of bring us back to that as we as we get closer to the end of our conversation, because I just want to go from there to, you know, what should we be doing today? What should we be doing in six months? What should we be doing in a year for financial advisors? 
Yeah, so the way I see things for financial advisors is I see, I guess there's the two sides of things. I can really see these technologies being helpful for a, a financial advisor, getting insights you know, directly to them as they have like a good tool that they could ask questions to. For the financial advisor, they would definitely need sources, be able to verify um, what they get back, but hopefully many of those insights could be things that really could help their customers. And then from the customer side, like if they have the right tools to help them, you know, maybe those tools don't need the sources as much because they could go back to that financial advisor and the financial and say, is this true? You know, am I missing something? And so they can get much better understanding, have a much better conversation. But, um, you know, they have that financial advisor to go back to and really verify things. And so I do think the role and the relationship is going to change. The financial advisor will need to even possibly make sure customers understand, you know, not to trust this technology fully, how to use it, even though you can't trust it, it could still be valuable. But a lot of that will need to be um, really a partnership. And we need to, you know, think about, you know, how much human and how much machine is now um, necessary as we work together. But we just need to sort of get get on with it. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, just because this is what you've been doing for, for years, um, how much of the, the Hollywood strike is sort of blown the story into everyone's sort of thinking space and, and you know sort of more popular culture story side of things was that in terms of advertising was it did it get it on the map faster yeah i, I would say also the release of chat gpt in november and the um hollywood strike um especially the combination of the two got it on the map in both ways it got people to realize there is a good and a bad here. And um, that conversation really is like, wow, this tool's amazing. But wait, what does it mean for jobs? What is it, you know, what does it mean if all of a sudden somebody can take my work and do whatever they want with it? Um, and so I think it, it really got the conversation also to go deeper because these two things in combination. Yeah. I mean, it's, is there an upside for any actors that where their image wants to be used or whatever? I mean, they, they, it's kind of interesting reading the bits and pieces as this strike goes on because, it, again, it's almost generating stuff for you to think about. But um, there are some upsides. They just, I guess, would want it in their contract. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually see a number of upsides. I do think it needs to be stated. So if, for an example, an actor gets sick, you could keep the show can go on and they could get paid for it um, as long as that's in the contract. Um, or if um, somebody wants to retire early, it's a passive income source. The actor could say, feel free to use my likeness, um, my voice, you know, go ahead as long as you pay me a certain amount of money. So to me, it's like a whole new like um, passive income source that people could have that, you know, what even a writer, you know, potentially could say, you know, feel free to use my scripts from the past and generate a new one, but pay me for it. Um, and so definitely we need to rethink contracts, but I do see a lot of ways people could use this to continue income, whether it's because of an illness or um, just um, early retirement. Yeah, it's fascinating. Is it easy to find AI to ask questions to? Uh, do you find, is, it, is it easy? What's the sort of user experience? Yeah, how would you describe that? Yeah, I would say that's really what started this conversation with um, ChatGPT and got it on the map is the fact that it's so easy for anybody to use. We finally have AI where you really don't need to know anything or almost anything about technology to use it. It's a text box. Anybody who knows how to text could use it. You just type something in. And that's really why it's so powerful. We've had powerful AI for years, but you needed to hire data scientists to really work with it. And that's you know not, not as easy as having just anybody be able to work with it. So um, 
there are a number of tools out there that anybody can use. Some of them are even free to use. They're very easy to use. And that's really why I think this is so powerful. Um, what are your final thoughts on sort of the type of innovation, I guess, cycle, it sounds very financial, but like what sort of innovation cycle are we in right now? Just kind of put us in perspective with that. Yeah. So I would say we're definitely at a point where every, there is this hype. Everybody is recognizing this technology could be transformative across industries. At the same time, there's also so many questions that the last nine months like brought to light. You know, we talked about the security side. We talked about the legal side. We talked about accuracy. We talked about hardware. Um, so there's also you know, a lot of open questions. Um, so I would say that, and especially for enterprises have to think through as they think about we know there's so much potential with this technology, but how do we use it responsibly? Um, and so that's really where we are right now. There's definitely tons of appetite to use the technology. There, Everybody has ideas on how it could be used, but we also need to make sure we're using it responsibly, and that's the challenge right now. Fascinating to get your views because you've been in this and looking at it for, for so long and now kind of bringing it to our attention in, in this in this new way where it really is a, a brand new world. Thank you very much, Sarah, and um, thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.